This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Quran across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. This is the uh, scary part of what I want to share with you today, the, the, the nature of the responsibility. On the one hand, it sounds like Allah has given us an amazing honor, calling us the middle nation, or a, a nation that represents balance and the best of all things in every way. But it's not that simple. We were not just given this responsibility or this amazing badge, this honor, this medal, and then that's it. Congratulations. He says, لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ So that you may all be witnesses against humanity. You may be witnesses against humanity. This means a lot of things. So I want to go one by one. What does it mean that we, the Muslims, are witnesses against humanity? The first of them. على إشارة إلى أن معظم شهادة هذه الأمة وأهمها شهادتهم على المعرضين لأن المؤمنين قد شهد لهم إيمانهم. We are going to testify against all the non-Muslims on Judgment Day. We will testify against them. But what does that mean? See the prophets, عليهم الصلاة والسلام. All of them, Musa, Isa, Muhammad, صلى الله عليه وسلم. All of them were sent as a witness. Like even our Prophet was told, إِنَّا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ شَاهِدًا We sent you as a witness. For a Prophet to be a witness, two things have to happen. He has to clearly give a message, number one. And he has to clearly live that message, number two. I'll say that again. He has to give the message and what? Live the message. If you say good things, but you don't do good things, if I tell my children, pray, they say, Abba, you don't pray, why should I pray? I say good things, but I don't do good things, it has no value. It, has no, it, has, it carries no weight. I can only say good things, and it means something if I do good things. Prophets were a witness against their people, because they didn't just give them the theory. Be kind, be just, be honest, be truthful. You know, they didn't give those values in words, in speeches. But when they look at these, these prophets' personal lives, when you go inside their homes, when you see their business dealings, when you see their, how they treat their neighbor, and how they are in their everyday, everything that they do, you could see that they live it first, and then they give it. That's when they become a witness. This ummah is supposed to be a witness against all of humanity. Which, we, which means we have to be clear in giving them a message. And we also have to be clear in living the message. So they see us and they see justice. They see us and they see a people who have no racism. They see us and they see people that have no classism. The wealthy are not treated better than the poor. One race is not treated better than another. They see us and they don't see any corruption. They see us and they see honesty in every one of our business practices. They see us and they see people who when they give a promise, they fulfill a promise. We think da'wah means you hand somebody a brochure that says Allah is one, 
you hand somebody a pamphlet or give them a video or they just get the message. That's just one part of shahada. If you want the hujjah on them, they have, you, you have to give the message and you have to live it too. That's when you become shaheed. When Allah says, لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ You know what that means? That means you must now live the teachings of this book. You must be a living model, each of you, of this book. And then you can preach the message of this book. I'll tell you one of the scariest things I've ever experienced in my life. One of the most depressing experiences of my life. You'll be surprised. It was Hajj. Hajj, and I've only done one Hajj. And it's supposed to be the most joyous occasion of my life. And I was very depressed. Eventually I was happy. But I was very depressed. You know why I was depressed? Because there were VIP sections. I was depressed because there were people with the different kind of passport treated differently. I was depressed because, you know, people were not concerned about each other at all. If you wanted to take somebody and say, if you told somebody, Islam, in Islam, everybody's treated equally. In Islam, the wealthy and the poor, and the black and the white, they're all the same. We are all slaves of Allah. That's the beauty of Islam. That's why Bilal accepted Islam. And he could stand next to Umar and pray. And I give them all that theory. And I say, let me show you Islam. And I take them to Hajj. <laughs> this? This is your Islam? Seriously? Am I, maybe I have bad eyesight or maybe this is a different religion or something. Where in the world am I going to take them? And I show them that people are, the, the ummah is what it's supposed to be. That we live it. Until we become models of it, please listen to this. I know it's controversial. I, I may get in trouble for it. I don't care. Well, this is what I'm convinced of. Until we, the ummah, are a model of, the, of this deen, we don't get to hate the kuffar. We don't get to say, ah, these kuffar, they're going to go to jahannam. Ah, who cares about astaghfirullah? These people worship. I what do you? What have you shown them? What have I shown them? You know, talk is half the equation. The living model is the other half. That's what the prophets were. The prophets were not all talk. The prophets were not great speeches. They were living examples. You know, before Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was a rasul. What was he called by the people? As-Sadiq, Al-Ameen. You guys know this, right? True, honest. Is that the first qualities people know about the Muslim Ummah today? <laughs> Think about that. Before the Prophet was even given the responsibility to do da'wah, he proved his credibility. That is his shahada. Because that's when, when he taught Islam, people said, we have to listen, he's an honest man. He's the most truthful man I know. Obviously, this is the right religion. You know? Today, you find those good qualities, non-Muslims have them. Way more than the Muslims have them. It's a shame. It's a shame. And we have to be the ambassadors of those qualities. We are too obsessed with preaching Islam and not living it. When we think about da'wah. And that's, that may be da'wah, but it's not shahada ala nas. Because the shahada means what? Witnessing. 
People saw you, people saw what you're like, and then they still rejected. Then you get to say to Allah, Ya Allah, we tried to live by your deen. We tried to stay away from the haram, abide by the halal. We did justice every, every way we could. And then we also gave them the message of Islam, and Ya Allah, they didn't listen. Then we have a case. And by the way, think about the opposite. As Mawludi rahimahullah put it, think about the opposite. If we don't do this, if we don't become witnesses over humanity, in the way that we're supposed to, and we come in front of Allah on Judgment Day, and the neighbors that we had, the Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, atheist, agnost, neighbors that we had, stand in front of Allah on Judgment Day and say, Ya Allah, I had no idea what is Islam. And Allah will say, didn't Abdul Karim live next door? And Abdul Karim says, yeah, right here. Abdul Karim, they're saying they didn't know Islam. But you live next door. Yeah, but I owned a liquor store and uh, we used to go to movies together. They don't know any Islam from you. They just know, don't do business with Abdul Karim because he's a shady guy. How are they going to know Islam from you? Because you gave them some iftar in Ramadan, that's how they know Islam from you? Who's in trouble now? Is this guy in trouble more or this Abdul Karim in trouble? They understand what's happening here? If this is a huge burden put on this ummah, now we will be standing trial before Allah Azza wa Jal. Because the people will say, Islam is beautiful but not the ummah. <laughs> Islam is amazing but how would I know? How in the world would I know? You know? That's لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ And anas, all people, which means whichever culture we belong to, whichever nation we belong to, Islam can be practiced there. Islam can survive as a minority and a majority. Islam can survive when you're the only Muslim in the village. Islam can survive when you're one million people and the other one is one or two people. Islam is not dependent on numbers. It's not. It's not dependent on environment. You will be witness to humanity no matter what situation, no matter what environment. لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ You know what this also taught us? This ayah, this ayah taught us we cannot stay among ourselves. We cannot stay Muslim among Muslim only. Muslims have to deal with Hindus. They have to deal with Buddhists. They have to deal with people of other religions. They have to interact with them. They have to share concern with them. Because they're people of Ibrahim. Ibrahim never stayed in one place, did he? Always dealing with other people? Always concerned about other people? You know what, anybody here know what Ibrahim did with the people of Lut? The angels came to Ibrahim first. And he said, why are you here? They said, we are going to kill everyone in the nation of who? Lut. Ibrahim said, oh, they're gay, right? Yeah, kill them. What did Ibrahim do? He argued on their behalf. If it was one of us, we're like, alhamdulillah, finally. Is it going to be nuclear? And Ibrahim alayhi salam يُجَادِلُنَا فِي قَوْمِ Lut. We are بِلَّةَ بِكُمْ Ibrahim, we are supposed to be a mercy and a source of da'wah to all people. All people. Can you imagine how far we've come from that? How far away we are from that deen? So that's the first impl- implication. Then l- listen to this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ on Sa'id, Abi Sa'id al-Khudri. يُجَاءَ بِنُوح يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Amazing hadith. Nuh will be brought on judgment day. فَيُقَالُ لَهُ هَلْ بَلَّغْتِ He will be asked, did you deliver the message? Who is being asked? Nuh alayhi salam. Did you deliver the message? فَيَقُولْ نَعَمْ يَا رَبْ 
He will say, yes, master. I did, I, did the, I delivered the message. فَتُسْأَلُ أُمَّتُهُ Then his nation will be asked. هَلْ بَلَّغَكُمْ Did the message reach you? فَيَقُولُونَ مَا جَعَنَا مِنْ نَذِيرٍ They're gonna say, no, nobody came warning us. Nuh is saying, I did my job. His entire nation says, no, what are you talking about? We didn't have any warner. We didn't have any messenger. Allah will say to Nuh, Do you have any witnesses that can prove that you're telling the truth? Allah is asking who now? Nuh. And Nuh answers, He says, yes, the people that will make defend me will be Muhammad and his ummah. Muhammad and us. Us on judgment day. We never met Nuh salam. But did we recite Surah Nuh? <laughs> did we recite Ayat of Nuh? Did we know that he delivered the message? This Qur'an, we believe it? And so he says, فَتَشْهَدُونَ Then Allah will bring all of you, and you will all testify. Yes, Nuh delivered the message. We learned that in Qur'an. Allah made us a witness against the people of Nuh on the Day of Judgment. Even against them. We're not just a witness against the people who live in our time, we're even a witness against the criminals of all history. And it also means we are witness in favor of all of the believers of the past. I'll give you just one example. Shahada ala nas. Ashabul kahf. You guys know the famous story, right? Ashabul kahf. If the Quran did not teach Ashabul kahf, these fitya, these young people, Everybody in the world would have believed that these are Christian saints who believed in the worship of Jesus. That's what the whole world would have believed. That these were saints. There's a church in their name still. Their church is in their name. Jacobite churches. Nobody came to testify and say that these were believing men. These believers were good men and they didn't do any shirk. They stood by Allah except Quran. And through Quran, this ummah testifies for them. We're the ones who came to defend them. This Qur'an, through this Qur'an, we will testify for all the believers who have ever lived in history, which nobody knows about. And we will be their witnesses. We will be their backup. This is, subhanAllah, rahmatan lil'alameen. The messenger is, is a rahmah for all the nations of the world in the future and in the past. Even in the past, subhanAllah. Even for people that we've never heard of. You know, people in history that are, we don't know where they're buried. But they believed in La ilaha illallah, we will testify for them. This, this ummah is so honored, subhanAllah. So now, the Rasul says, The Prophet said this hadith about you will testify for the people of Nuh, then he recited this ayah. He made you a middle nation, so you can be witness against all of humanity. And then he described, Wasatan qala adlan. He said, Wasatan means you will be a witness that can be relied upon. You are reliable witnesses. يُعْتَمَدُ عَلَيْهِ وَيَكُونَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا This is the hardest part. You were made a balanced nation, so you can testify against all of humanity, and also so that the messenger can testify against you. Rasulullah can testify against you. This is a very difficult concept. This is several things. I'll, I'll start with the first one. If we, I want you to imagine the court of Allah is three parts. The people, one side. The ummah, in the middle. And Rasulullah on that side. 
It's three sides. Who's in the middle? We are. In a sense, we are between the people and the messenger. How is the messenger supposed to reach the people? With who? People in the middle. He's gone. The only thing left of him is this ummah. We are a reflection of Rasulullah on this earth. So in a sense, we are wasat also because we are in between Rasulullah on this side and humanity on that side. And on Judgment Day, all of them are standing. All of them are there. Rasulullah is there. The ummah is there. Humanity is there. And humanity says they didn't do their job. They never taught us. They never showed us. And on the other side, Rasulullah is testifying, they didn't do their job. We are already in trouble with humanity's side. Now we're in extra trouble from which side? The Rasul's side, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Our messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, we learn about him that on judgment day, he does shafa'ah for this ummah. Ummati, ummati, multiple times, multiple times. But that's not the only testimony on judgment day. A lot of times the Muslims, we, we highlight, and when I teach Ayatul Kursi, I, I highlight the shafa'ah of Rasulullah wasallam and how he's going to make a case for all of us to enter Jannah, and may Allah make us of those that are worthy of the shafa'ah, of the plea of the Messenger of Allah wasallam. But that's not the only testimony on the Day of Judgment from the Prophet. We have to know all of them. What's the other one? People are going, you know the Hawd of the Prophet ﷺ, the river? Where we drink from? Al-Kawthar, the Hawd. There are people, Muslims are trying to drink from the Hawd. They're coming on judgment day to drink from the river. And there are angels pushing them away. Get away, get away, get away. No access for you. So there's people that are fighting to try to get to the river and they can't get access. So Rasulullah says, Ummati, Ya Rab, Ummati, Master, this is my people. Let them, they're Muslims, let them come drink. He will be told, You don't know what they did after you were gone. You don't know what trouble they caused. And what did he say? They replaced, they changed, they made changes. فَأَقُولُ سُحْقًا سُحْقًا لِمَنْ بَدَّلَ بَعْدِي Then I will say, take them far away, take them far away, anybody who made changes after I was gone. A second ago he was saying, Ummati, Ummati. A second later, Rasulullah is saying, take them away, take them away. Get them out, because they were not shuhada ala nas. They changed. This is our identity as an ummah. What does it mean to be an ummah? It means to be shuhada ala nas. What does it mean to be an ummah? Ar-Rasul alaykum shaheed. Rasul will be with, don't forget that. Fi sahih annahu lamma wujiha Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ila al-qibla, qalu, ya Rasulullah, kayfa billadhina matu? Actually, even before, that's, that's later on, I'll tell you that later on. Wa yakuna Rasulu alaykum shaheeda, I'd like you to remember, that we on the Day of Judgment, there's a, there's a ayah of, of Qur'an, very difficult ayah to swallow. وَقَالَ الرَّسُولُ يَا رَبِّ هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ مَهْجُورًا The Rasul will say on that day, this nation of mine, they abandoned the Qur'an. They abandoned the Qur'an. And Mufassirun say this refers to Quraysh. Quraysh abandoned the Qur'an. But others say, no, it says, اِتَّخَذُوا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ مَهْجُورًا Like, it's an ironic language. It's they held on to this Qur'an as something to be left alone. How do you hold on to something, ittakhadu, and then leave it alone? 
The best example of this I can find is in our cultures. We hold on to the Qur'an, we recite the Qur'an, we print it in beautiful, colorful, glossy print. We love uh, you know, uh, calligraphy of the Qur'an, tajweed of the Qur'an. We love these things, but the message of the Qur'an, ah, <laughs> easy. Qira'ah of the Qur'an, yes. Beautiful art of the Qur'an, two thumbs up. But don't, don't talk about riba, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't talk about, you know, its teachings. Don't talk about justice. Don't, don't, don't go there. No, no, no. Just recite. Just recite beautifully. Oh, mashallah, your tajweed. Mm-mm. So good. We hold on to it and abandon it at the same time. Isn't it? Quran May Allah not make us of those people. Because when Rasulullah testifies, uh, who's, who's left? Who's left? The day on which nobody gets to speak, only Rasulullah speaks, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And if he speaks against you, then there's nothing left. Then there's nothing left. It's a scary position the ummah is in. Those of us in the ummah that are awake, there are two kinds of members of this ummah. There's members of this ummah that are sleeping, and there's members of this ummah that are awake. I would argue those of the ummah that are awake, they better really wake up. We better really wake up. We have a huge responsibility on our shoulders. Huge responsibility on our shoulders. And we, we have to carry this responsibility. We don't have a choice. And it will not be carried with anger. I cannot be yelling at the Muslims that are sleeping. I can't. Even they deserve mercy. They, des- they deserve rahmah. That's not how they're going to wake up. You know? We have to follow the way of Ibrahim salam in waking people up with love and mercy and care. This is just a, a brief analysis of لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَكُونَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا As I go on, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الْقِبْلَةَ الَّتِي كُنْتَ عَلَيْهَا إِلَّا لِنَعْلَمَ مَنْ يَتَّبِعُ الرَّسُولُ مِمَّنْ يَنْقَلِبُ عَلَىٰ عَقِبَيْهِ So awesome. And we didn't make the Qibla that you used to be committed to, meaning Jerusalem. We, only, we put that there only for one reason, to get to know, to test, who will actually follow the messenger and who will turn back on his heels and go away? I told you earlier on there are two groups, Muhajirun and Ansar. Muhajirun love Kaaba. A lot of the Ansar love Jerusalem. When the Muslims move to Medina, who is being tested? The Muhajirun, because they have to put their back to the Kaaba. When the ayah came, you have to pray towards Makkah. Who's being tested? The, the, the Ansar who have affiliation to. Jerusalem. So in this way, both groups got tested. To Allah, testing whether they will obey Allah was more important, the direction of prayer was less important. Allah could have made the direction of the Kaaba, the Mecca, from the first ayat of the Qur'an. Why did He wait this long? Why did He wait this long? This is so important. Salah is so important. Aqimul Salah is so early in the Qur'an. Why not just tell the Prophet from the beginning, pray towards the Kaaba? He waited until he could test both groups. The people of Mecca and the people of Medina. Because the, the importance is not the direction of prayer, the importance is the command of Allah. That's what's, what actually matters. So now when he does this, the, you know, uh, notice by the way the language, it's so beautiful. We didn't change the, the, the direction of the Qibla, except we could see who will actually follow the Messenger. مِمَّنْ يَتَّبِعُ الرَّسُولِ Rasul doesn't even explain himself. He prays towards Jerusalem. Nobody comes and asks him, Ya Rasulullah, why aren't we praying towards the Kaaba? Or when we're praying towards the Kaaba, he doesn't, nobody comes and asks him, why are we praying towards the Kaaba? 
Why aren't we praying towards Jerusalem anymore? The ayat hadn't even come yet. It seems to be the case that the ayahs hadn't even come yet and the Prophet was already praying in, towards the Kaaba. Then the ayat came. Because that's why the fools will come and say, hey, what happened? Revelation hasn't even come yet. But the, the change has already happened. Now, when they turn their heels, مِمَّا يَنْقَلِبُ عَلَىٰ حَقِبَيْ In Qur'an, when somebody turns on their heels, it means they turn around and they run away. When you say turn around and run away, it means like run away from the battlefield, right? Qur'an uses that expression here to describe there are people who will turn around and run away because they don't want to follow the right direction of the Qibla. So it's literally, it's playing on the direction of the Qibla and the idea that they are retreating from Islam. But the only people who will be able to follow this instruction is the ones Allah guided. It's going to be too big of a problem. It's going to be too big of a change. Except for those who Allah has guided. I would like to, as I, as I teach these ayat, what I like to emphasize is how does this apply to you and me today? Because Qibla already changed, alhamdulillah. It's not difficult for you to say, oh, no Jerusalem anymore, I guess I'm going to pray towards Kaaba. That problem is solved for you and me. But what do these ayat mean for you and me today? Here's what they mean. Sometimes you and I are learning about Islam. Actually, sometimes you and I are not learning about Islam. We hear things and we follow them since childhood. And later on in your life, you actually learn that that wasn't Islam. Later on in your life, you learn that there's something else. You're supposed to do something differently. Does that happen to you? When that happens to you, and you say, no, no, I'm not going to do things the old way anymore. I'll do them this because I studied this and I learned this. I'm going to follow this. Everybody in your family says what? Crazy? What happened to you? Why are you becoming so extreme? All of us do it this way. Oh, we're all wrong? Everybody's wrong now? Your grandfather was wrong too? His father was wrong too? And you're sitting there going, no, sorry. Because now you have to see, do you follow your family? Because they're Muslim too. Or do you follow what you studied, what you learned? This is going to get you in big trouble. So people came to the, the Sahaba, and they said this, uh, and actually when the direction was changed, some Sahaba came to the Prophet, and they said this, فَكَيْفَ بِالَّذِينَ مَاتُوا وَهُمْ يُصَلُّونَ إِلَى بَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ Ya Rasulullah, there were lots of people who used to pray towards Jerusalem, and they died. So they were praying towards the wrong GPS direction. Their salah didn't count. What about them? And then what about all of our prayers? We were praying in these many years, we were praying towards Jerusalem. If that was wrong, none of those prayers counted. And so when that came, that, that distinction came, Allah Azza wa Jal revealed, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِيعَ إِمَانَكُمْ Allah will not ever be someone who wastes your iman. Allah will not waste your iman. It's beautiful, isn't it? They said our prayers are wasted. Allah didn't say Allah will not waste your prayer. Allah said Allah will not waste your iman. Because prayer is only valuable when you pray with iman. The direction was less important. Somebody stuck in the middle of the dark at night in the desert somewhere and they have to pray and their, their phone has no service so the app for the qibla is not working. You know, they don't have a compass and nothing. They're like, Ya Allah, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? They're like, Eeny, meeny, miny, kaaba. And they just. And then later on, when they, you know, when they find out, they pray towards Disney World 
instead of the count. Did their prayer count or no? Did it count or no? You know why it counted? Because they prayed with what? Iman. The other beautiful thing here is salah is iman to Allah. To Allah, there's no difference between salah and iman. That should tell you how important salah is. Because no salah to Allah is the same as no iman. Oh man, that's heavy. That's heavy. Don't use that on your children. That's for you and for me. The state of your salah is the state of your iman. When you don't give a lot of value to your salah, you're not giving a lot of value to your iman. When you take care of your salah, you're taking care of your iman. There's no difference between the two. This is why, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُلْدِنَعَ إِمَانَكُمْ Allah will never waste your iman. Your iman, direction is not dependent on it. وَإِن كَانَتْ لَكَبِيرَةً إِلَّا عَلَى الَّذِينَ هَدَ اللَّهُ وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُلْدِعَ إِمَانَكُمْ But what about the people, and this is, this is إِمَانَكُمْ, your iman, the people who asked the question. But they asked the question about people who died a long time ago. But the answer is, Allah will not waste your iman. But what about their iman? So Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِالنَّاسِ لَرَأُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ Allah, in regards to all people, has always been رَأُوف رَحِيمُ Has always been extremely compassionate. Always been loving, always been caring, has always known what they're going through. I take you back to that one example because it's my favorite example, the people of the cave. In my studies, I'm convinced that Ashabul Kahf had no idea of any prophets. They had no idea about any prophets or any book. All they knew was, idol worship is wrong, there can only be one God. That's all they knew. And they made up their prayers. You guide us. You tell us what to do. We don't know what to do. Was that good enough for Allah too? Yeah. Allah didn't say, well, they didn't even make wudu before they asked me. They don't even have ijazah in tajweed. He didn't care. Because in Allah bin nas rahim. Allah is compassionate, caring, understanding, loving and merciful to all people across the board. He spares them. Don't think Allah is ready to punish. We have unfortunately for a lot of people in the religion, this happened to the people before us, the Jews, they became very strict. And they used to make it look like, sound like Allah will punish you at every turn. Oh, you did this wrong, Allah will punish you. You did that, oh, Allah will punish you. You know? Somebody somebody came to the masjid after many years, they made wudu, they missed a few drops, and you're like, oh, this guy, this salah is not gonna count. So sad. He's gonna burn. Don't do that. We, this, is, this is the teaching here. Even if they were praying in the entirely wrong direction, in Allah bin Nasi la Rahim. Finally, the ayah. Man, I, I gotta tell you this. You guys know the story of Musa alayhi salam, right? When Musa alayhi salam spoke with Allah, Allah told him to go to Firaun. And when he, when he told him to go to Fir'aun, he made a list of problems. Musa made a list of problems. He said, you know, إِنِّي أَخَافُ وَنْ يَقْتُلُونَ وَيَضِيقُ الصَّدْرِ وَلَا يَنْطَلِقُ لِسَانِي فَأَرْسِلِ اللَّهَ هَرُونَ لَهُمْ عَلَيَّ ذَنْبُونَ You know, يُكَذِّبُونَ لَنْ يَقْتُلُونَ They will call me a liar. They're going to, my tongue doesn't move, I become frustrated, I can't speak properly, I need backup, I need help, could you give me Harun? They might even kill me before they let me speak. He made a list of problems. And then Allah answered him. What's beautiful about the ayah that we're about to read, 
is that Allah is also just like He answered Musa, He's gonna answer Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But look at how He answers Rasulullah. قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ We saw your face turning towards the sky. And قَدْ نَرَى suggests we keep seeing your face turning towards the sky. Rasulullah sallallahu wouldn't even ask. He didn't ask. He was just hurting in his heart that his back is towards the house of his father Ibrahim. So he would just, just kind of look at the sky. And the other beautiful thing is, تَقَلُّبُ wajhika means your face itself turned. Instead of you turned your face, the face itself turned. You know sometimes you do a, a body action and you can't even control it. You hear a sound and you just go like that. And you didn't even intend to do that. You just, reaction. It's suggesting the Prophet ﷺ can't even help himself. Every now and then he just... You know, every time he's about to pray, and he's not facing the Qibla, he's just, his eyes just go into the sky. His face just goes into the sky. And Allah says, he noticed. He noticed that you have that reaction. So you don't have to ask. Every time you turn your face into the sky. فَلَنُوَلِّيَنَّكَ قِبْلَةً تَرْضَاهَا Then we, are, we swear to it, therefore, that we are absolutely turning you without a doubt, without a doubt, in a direction that makes you happy, that pleases you. This is the ayah, it's the only ayah of the actual reason for the change of the Qibla. You have later, you know, all around we've learned it was the house built by Ibrahim salam. Later on Allah will command, turn in its direction. But the first reason Allah gave openly, was that the Prophet ﷺ was sad. And now to make him happy, I'm changing the direction. In a direction that makes you happy. Sallallahu alayhi wa What a maqam of Rasulullah ﷺ, that the reason we pray towards the Qibla, is it pleases Rasulullah ﷺ. So, so beautiful. And by the way, the happiness of our Prophet is the same as the happiness of Allah. Because when the Kaaba was finally cleaned up, رَضِيتُ لَكُمْ بِالْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ The same verbiage was used. You know, I've, I, I'm pleased with for you, as Islam is your religion. Now the thing that I'd like to highlight here, remember I told you the Prophet will testify against us? Or for us before? Think about this. Allah changed the Qibla for him, did he even have to ask? No. Allah changed the Qibla. And on Judgment Day, he'll actually ask. How heavy is that? How heavy a burden is that? So we, we have to know, وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ We're dealing with the Messenger of Allah وسلم. It's not a light matter. فَوَلِّي وَجْهَكَ شَطْرَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ Turn your face then in the direction of Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the sanctified masjid, the, you know, the, the sacred masjid. Now the term Al-Masjid Al-Haram was new. The Arabs did not use it. They used Al-Bayt, Al-Bayt Al-Atiq, Kaaba. These are known names. But the Qur'an used what phrase? Al-Masjid Al-Haram. Al-Masjid is a dharf from the word sajada, which means to do sajda. The place of sajda. So the, the, the official name of the Kaaba is Al-Masjid Al-Haram. Al-Masjid Al-Haram. That's in the Qur'an, right? Now why is that important? There are lots of things we do at the Masjid, at, at, at Kaaba. We do tawaf, we do i'tikaf, we do salah. But in the word Masjid, which act is highlighted? Which is the most important act? Sajda. Because from it comes the word masjid, right? Now why is sajda important? Go back. The first battle, that's the first story that's mentioned in the Qur'an here, 
There's a story of Adam, which was a problem of what? Refusal to do? Sajda. We are the final soldiers of that battle. And when do you win that battle against shaitan? When you fall into sajda. Because when you fall into sajda, you do the opposite of what shaitan did. You do the opposite of what shaitan did. And now the house that is supposed to be there, so that humanity until the day of judgment can do sajda, that's the house that you are now to pray in direction of. That is your mission. Subhanallah. So profound by calling it al-Masjid al-Haram, the sacred place of doing sajda. The sanctified place of doing sajda. وَحَيْثُ مَا كُنْتُمْ And wherever you may be, فَوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ شَطْرَهُ Then you should turn your faces in its direction. The first part of it was for Rasulullah Wherever you must turn towards the Qibla, towards Al-Masjid Al-Haram, then he turns to the Ummah and says, by the way, you also. All of you also turn towards it. وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابِ لَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ No doubt about it. Those who were given the book, they know that it is the truth from their master. They also know that this is the right Qibla. I'll give you one example of that from the Qur'an that should be enough. How do the Christians and Jews, especially the Jews, how do they know that this is the Kaaba? For them, which was Kaaba had no value. Which which place had value? Jerusalem. Quran says they know. How do they know? For the Jews, who's the most important prophet? Do you know? Hmm? Torah given to who? Musa. I'll tell you something about Musa. Musa accidentally killed a person. He punched somebody and he died. Then he ran away to Egypt. From Egypt to Madian. He ran away from Egypt to where? Madian. Madian is Arab. Madian is Arab land. When he went to Madian, he got married. You know this, right? When he got married, he married a, 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 an old man's daughter from Madian, which means he married an Arab. Which is pretty awesome. When you, I talked to my Jewish friends, it was like, Moses married Arab. But his kids are like, you know, half Arab. And according to some of them, ethnicity comes from the mother. So I'm like, his kids are Arab according to you. <laughs> but anyway, when he did marry in Madian, you know his father said, the, the girl's father said, you must work for me for eight years. Or you could do ten. Eight years or you could do ten. You know how he said it? hijaj. You will work for me for eight hajj. Eight hajj. Or you could do 10 hajj. How many hajj do we do in a year? One. Which land was this? Arab land, yes or no? Arab land. And in the Arab land, an Arab old man says, you will work for me for 10, for ten hajj. When you say the word hajj, what location are you making reference to? Jerusalem? Has hajj ever been done in Jerusalem? Hajj is being done around the Kaaba since the time of Ibrahim a.s. When he says eight or eight or ten Hajj, he's telling Musa alayhi salam about the Kaaba, and Musa alayhi salam himself knows about the Kaaba. And why wouldn't he? He lived among a believer, within a believer in the Arab land, from the children of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Why wouldn't he know? Subhanallah, they know, they know, and Quran gives us hints that they know, even though they buried it away. You know, when I was reading Hamiduddin Farahi's book on Ra'yu Sahih fi Manhu al-Dabih about how much they know about the Kaaba or don't know. He said when they took, because they don't say Ismail was slaughtered, they say, you know, Ishaq was slaughtered. But we say Ismail was slaughtered. So they say he took Ishaq 
to the valley of Sakka, between Shifa and Mura. That's what the Jews say. A valley called Sakka, between Shifa and Mura. So they took Makkah and turned it into what? Sakka. And Safa and Marwa, what did they turn it into? Shifa and Mura. You're like, there's no Shifa Mura anywhere. There's no Sakka anywhere. Where can, where's this valley? They changed a little bit spelling here and there. And from Makkah became Sakka, and Safa became Shifa, and Marwa became Mura. And <laughs> Subhanallah. They know. They know about the Kaaba. They know it was built by their father Ibrahim alayhi You know? So they, Allah says, لَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ They absolutely know that it is the truth from their master. And Allah is not unaware of what they do. Allah knows full well what they do. I'd like to conclude inshaAllah ta'ala with the following. There are in Western Islamic studies, there are those who still question the Kaaba. They say, oh, the Arabs, they came up with their own sort of story about Abraham and it has nothing to do with the Bible because since it's not in the Bible, it's not authentic. And you know, why would they even pray in that direction? They were better off praying towards Jerusalem. Allah's words become true even today. The fools among the people will say, Why what turned them away from the direction of Jerusalem towards Makkah? The fools will say, they still say to this day. There's still PhDs, professors in universities are still saying the same thing to this day. And Qur'an is still commenting on them saying, سَيَقُولُ سُفَهَاءُ مِنَ النَّاسِ مَا وَاللَّهُمْ عَنْ قِبْلَتِهِمْ أَلَّتِي كَانُوا عَلَيْهَمْ The the heart of the, the, the lesson here that I wanted to you know give across to you, inshallah ta'ala, is that, that the change of the qibla, it represents a huge shift in the way that we the Muslim ummah thinks. We are not concerned about ourselves, we're concerned about all of humanity. And that is evidenced in the fact that we are the people of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayat wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Qur'an across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G.